You know, as we get started this morning, before I start off with Scripture this morning and, and from God's Word, uh, we've got another special treat. It's been uh, very exciting, uh, in my, you know, I guess my opinion, uh, the last few weeks, how God is at work in so many lives. Uh, as we, a few weeks ago with Mark Cahill being here and just really reminding us the truth of Scripture of sharing our faith. And uh, it was my prayer that as we left that Sunday and received more training, the Dominican team was off, and I was praying when the Dominican team comes back and they're all fired up, I hope they come back to a fired up church and they're like, who are these people? <laughs> they're a little different than when we, uh, when we left. And, uh, and I was hoping and praying that, and then they came back and heard some great stories, and then Power Camp, and, and many of you have been continuing to share your faith, and so it's been rather exciting what God's been doing. And uh, so we're going to keep the testimonies rolling. I'm going to ask the Dominican team to come up here now and to share what transpired on their trip and, and how things went for them, not just physically, but spiritually on their journey. So if you'd come on up, I'm going to hand you this mic. It's all yours. You mean I get to take this home? Okay, let me, it's all yours for the next 30 minutes. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. No. It'll work. Well, a couple weeks ago, 13 of us uh, from the church started out uh, to the Dominican Republic, uh, met up with uh, Maggie's son and his pastor uh, once we got down there, and then actually even joined another group that was there from Shipshawana. And uh, we spent the week working uh, an hour away from San Juan up in a mountain town called El Cercado. Uh, while we were there, we worked on a uh, kitchen and a dining room area, uh, laying block, making cement. Uh, and we were an answer to their prayers. Uh, we had been told that numbers of times uh, in, our, in our going there, helping them out with what we did. Uh, we just want to thank you from the outset for uh, the way that you folks supported us, not only while we were there, but before we were there in, in preparing to go, uh, but also while we were there, uh, you supported us with your prayers. So you were an answer to our prayer. Uh, one of the things that uh, I really found special while I was there was that I got to meet with one of my sponsored children. My wife Linda and I sponsored two kids down there, and it was uh, fun to sit down with her and her mother to uh, talk with them through a translator. I don't speak Spanish, they didn't speak English, but hey, we had a good time. Uh, and what was really neat about that was that the mother through, the, through our translator had said how her daughter had came to her and over a matter of time was saying, Mom, Mom, when will I ever get a sponsor? I've prayed and prayed to God, and, and I just, you know, really feel that, that, you know, God wants me to have a sponsor. And it turned out that I was an answer to prayer. And it's only through God's help that, that you know, I was able to do that, to, to be her answer for prayer. Uh, again, as you were our answer for prayer, and as we were the Dominicans' answer for prayer. And... Uh, that was just one of the real special times that, that I had while I was there. Um, 
my son Clay and his wife Casey have had such enthusiasm for the Dominican and I never got it and now I do. Um, the people are amazing. I guess the things that hit me, the first we flew into Santo Domingo and then we rode on the bus to San Juan and we stayed at a hotel the first night and it was a fancy hotel and the fact that I saw p such poverty and then only because of where I was born, I had an all-you-could-eat buffet for breakfast. And that still just rattles me. Um, the other thing was, although there was so much poverty, I saw people on cell phones. I didn't quite get that. How can you not have electricity and hardly any food and you have a cell phone? But then the Lord reminded me this week that Christ will return when the whole world knows. And on that cell phone, there's a possibility of the gospel being presented. So just praise God. Yeah, it's really hard to pick like one moment. I mean, it was like an incredible week, like just jam-packed with awesome thing after awesome thing and just so much fun. Um, but when I will say when we came back that Sunday morning in church, we only had like a few hours of sleep after a really long day of traveling. But I truly felt like I had been gone a month. Like it was the most encouraging thing that could have happened coming home from such like an awesome thing. It was really incredible. Um, but I would say one thing that God taught me that week, um, maybe like our second or third day in, I was feeling a little like, I don't know, maybe discouraged, because I'm like, okay, I can't even communicate with these people. I don't speak their language. I mean, I maybe have, like, five words down. But, like, to actually, like, share um, God's, like, word with them, like, I'm not able to do that in Spanish. And I'm like, so, you know, I was just like, what, you know, I don't know. I was just discouraged about that. And then God just reminded me, like, um, just going up there and working for them. Like, people see that, and they understand that. Um, and, you know, even like when the little kids would run over and play with us all day and um, just we got to build relationship with them. And God just reminded me that he is such a God of relationship and um, just community and showing our love that way, not only with through our words. So that was pretty cool. For me, I would say that uh, go, going back down, just kind of reconnecting with uh, past friends that I've um, had a chance to meet down there as well and especially one uh, translator that we had that um, was down there my very first year back in about when I was in seventh grade. And then having him come back and working with um, our team was really good just to kind of get that friendship back with him and talk with him. And also just being able to get to know everyone uh, here on the team, uh, coming to church, you kind of know each other, but then actually getting down and working with people, you get to um, know them a lot more and, and find out different things about them kind of like how uh, Doug's actually pretty funny and likes to uh, crack a lot of jokes and have fun, so. <laughs> um, I don't know what I was really expecting going into this trip. Um, I had talked to a lot of people, kind of gave me their impressions, and oh, this is going to be just a life-changing moment for you. And um, I've been on one mission trip before, so the poverty, it hit me, but I don't necessarily think it did as much as it impacts some people because on my last mission trip I had seen a lot of that. Um, what I did um, get from this though was um, a new sense of um, understanding more exactly the difference between our lifestyles and no matter how poor these people are, it was just amazing how happy they were. Um, they 
they, they were just like us. You know, there really wasn't a difference other than the poverty level. And it gave me a new heart for some of the um, charities that I support, things that I do, um, and made me feel like, okay, now I, I see the people that, that I'm doing these things for. And um, probably the biggest thing, though, that came from this was um, Autumn's going to be going to school this year. Now, for those of you who don't know, I've been a homeschooling mom since 1991, so for 22 years. Um, that's been my life. Um, and God showed me new opportunities while I was down there for what my life could turn to. Um, with her going back to school, it opens up my time, frees me up to do pretty much whatever I want to do. And on the trip, um, God showed me new possibilities and new directions that my life could take. And right now, I'm just waiting to see where he leads me. So um, I also want to say thank you to everybody for your support and your prayers before and after the trip. And a big thank you to all the people who stepped up and transported us at 2 o'clock in the morning and then came back to Detroit at 10 o'clock at night to drive us home. Um, thank you so much for everything you did because without you guys, we would have never gotten there. Um, I was kind of nervous to go on the missions trip because I've wanted to be a missionary my whole life, so I was kind of like, okay, if this doesn't work out, what am I going to do? But um, I was really happy when, like, God showed me, confirmed that I can be a missionary and I can do it. So I'm really excited to go on another missions trip because it was amazing and a great experience. And the people there were awesome, and it kind of made me grateful for what I do have because they don't have much, but um, it's like they said, it was they were still happy with everything that they had, so it made me really grateful for what I have, and um, it was just a really great experience. I'm glad I got to do it. Um, here again, thanking everybody for prayers and uh, the drivers and transporters who who got us there and uh, uh, took money out of their own pockets to get us gas, get us there. Um, and like Josh said, um, I am really kind of funny once you get to know me and know my sense of humor. Right, Allie? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, uh, there's so many things that just came out of this trip. Um, like Sherry said, you look at these people and they've got nothing. They're living in sheds I probably won't put tools in. Um, but it was humbling how proud they were uh, every single thing they had um, you'd see you'd see this home um, and the pride they took because they would take this and even though they had no windows no doors whatever they still painted it uh, a beautiful blue and though the trim might have been a piece of two by four then a piece of metal uh, around the doors and the windows uh, they would paint that just a beautiful pink or just a bright green um, dirt floors, we would see them sweeping their dirt floors. Um, and you kind of think, you know, I sweep dirt off my floor. You know, so the pride that these people took and what they did have um, was just amazing. Um, playing with the kids, uh, incredible. Couldn't understand their names for the most part. Uh, first thing we got out of the bus and three little girls come running up, probably, what, six or seven? And uh, just give you a big old hug. 
And I ended up naming them because they each have their own personalities. I named them Curly, Moe, and Larry. Uh, Larry looked like Larry with the hair. Curly was the funny one of the group. Uh, Moe was just kind of always glum, but once she started playing, uh, she really had a good time. Um, I think probably the most I've got out of this uh, was new family members. Um, they're not just friends, they're like family. Uh, I wish an entire church uh, could go through this together. I went in with all kinds of fears. We're sitting at our meetings ahead of time. Then I'm like, wow, okay, I'm kind of a funny guy and nobody's like sitting and saying anything. It's like, how am I gonna, except for Troy, he's like class clown. Uh, but uh, it's like, you know, this is really gonna be hard. Uh, but once you got there right off the bat and you got to know people, um, they're just a bunch of amazing people. And uh, I love each and every one of them. And like I said, they're family to me. If the, if the church could do this, and just put away those fears. Um, I don't know how many years I blew off going on missions trip or tornadoes happen, you know, I do construction. So I should be going and doing this stuff and it's like so easy just to say, oh, I don't know and I've got this and that. Um, but, you know, once you do it and get yourself out there, um, there was no fear. I had my family around me. Um, I was good as gold, so I just want to thank the Lord for finally opening my eyes and saying, Doug, get your butt out there and do something. Um, I gave you this gift. Get out there and use it, and uh, I want to thank everybody again. I really liked playing with the kids, baseball, and yeah. <laughs> good job. I, th I think all these experiences, uh, we've all had bits and pieces of those, but I think the biggest one that I brought back is, is, is Solid Rock Ministries. Um, since I was a little guy, maybe seven years old, I heard Orville Fricky tell stories about the DR. And I always wanted to go. Well, it took me till I was 44 before I got there. But to, to see the work that, that um, our support of Solid Rock Ministries, and then when you go there to the DR, and you see how um, widespread Solid Rock Mission um, it is throughout the Dominican Republic. I think that is, has, was the biggest thing for me. The, the overseas um, mission uh, donations from the church, uh, the tithing, etc., it really does go to a good cause. And like many people said, the Dominicans are very appreciative of that. As soon as they see that you're there as an American, they assume you're you're a missionary, they know you're there to help them, um, and, and just to see the glow in their eyes and, and, and the places that they lived in poverty and how happy they were, uh, just, it really sunk into me that um, the missions of Solid Rock are strong and our support here from, from the Church of Solid Rock is important. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me was, um, I think ever since we decided we were going on this trip, we had been planning to do a rice and beans outreach um, once we got to the Dominican. Um, and when we got there, we were, um, I guess, exposed to an opportunity um, to use that money in another way, um, to still feed um, the Dominicans. But we were able to um, actually use that money that some of us had fundraised, um, not even knowing exactly why or how many people this would um, serve. And we bought, does anybody remember how many bags of four, 40 to 50 bags of milk, um, which they said would be a one to two month supply for 
their children's nutrition program um, at Solid Rock. So it was cool to see that like the body of Christ all the way here in Northwest Ohio um, was answering a prayer um, down in the Dominican without us even realizing it um, at the time. So that was truly um, a blessing to see how God works in his mysterious ways um, and how our small little Northwest Ohio corner um, can truly impact a whole nation. Thank you for sharing that. Doug, we're not, you know, you, you just set yourself up now. We expect jokes from you all the time. But when Jenny and I were walking the other night, you drove by, and instead of rolling down your window, you opened up your door to talk to us as you're driving. I'm going, why don't you just roll down your window? Because you're the funny guy, that's why. Okay, that makes sense now. Um, it's, it's great to hear the stories and, and to hear the relationships built and what you're doing down there in the Dominican impacting these lives are incredible. So we appreciate you taking time this morning and sharing that with the church. Church, thank you for, again, when you give to this church, when you put your money in the blessings box as an offering, yes, there are things that we use that money to take care of as a church here, but we also have a, a large missions uh, that that money goes to support, and that's one of our missions is the Dominican Republic. And uh, so I would, I would challenge you with this. I'd say keep going up to them and asking them stories or... Maybe you've got questions about overseas missions or mission trip. Ask them. Find them. Ask them these questions and, and pursue those answers and, and find out more. Uh, maybe where God's calling you to sort of stretch the boundaries here. And an amazing thing happened when you guys were in the Dominican with Autumn. You didn't know this. Um, when we left here on Sunday with Mark to go eat, we went to Los Mariachis to sit down and and of course, as I shared with you, Mark was up talking to everybody in that restaurant. And he talked to the manager, and the manager has a daughter who just moved here from Milwaukee. And she speaks Spanish, obviously, and, and pretty good with English as well. Uh, but as Mark was talking to her, he says, how can we pray for you and, and this girl? And she says, well, I'm very nervous because I'm going to Wasian schools. I've just moved here. I don't know anyone. And... Um, what do I do, you know, and so we're looking right away, and Mark looked at us and says, well, do you have kids in your youth group? And I'm thinking, yeah, well, yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, you're going to be starting school in Wasian. Just went to the Dominican, learning Spanish. Here's a young lady who's Spanish and English, and she has no clue. So we're just going to pray for you, for the mission field you'll have at the high school, especially with this, this, uh, this young lady. So see me afterwards, we'll talk about this. But we, we're sitting there thinking, how awesome is this, you know, that as we're sitting there, how God orchestrates things. Here's a young lady in our church on a trip to the Dominican Republic learning Spanish. Here's a young lady who speaks Spanish who's moving to this area who doesn't know anyone, and she's going to need someone. And we're sharing, trying to share Christ with her, but how does this all work together? And God says, I've got it all figured out, okay? So it's amazing when we think that we're actually preparing for a trip overseas, that actually made Boomerang come right back to God and says, I'm going to use you here as well. Uh, so let's continue to pray for this, uh, for this church. And, and whether you're on the Dominican team or not, whether you're uh, visiting for the first time today or whether you've been a part of this church, God's got a plan for you to do amazing things, mighty things. And I want to tell you this, do not give up. Do not give up in sharing your faith. Do not give up in growing in your faith. 
Do not give up in saying, well, I don't think God's got something for me, or I'm trying to share this with somebody, but they're not listening. Do not give up in that. Turn in your Bibles. Uh, we'll give an abbreviated sermon today, but turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. We've got Matthew and then Mark. Mark chapter 5. This is sort of an eerie story. And let me, before I get into the story, remind you uh, with your disciple partners, those that you've partnered up with, those that you're holding accountable, this, this coming week, read chapters uh, 5 and 6. Now, last week I said read 4 and 5 and maybe just 4. Read Mark 5 and Mark 6 this week. Share with your <clears throat> disciple partner uh, maybe uh, a prayer request, something to be praying for. Uh, give each other encouragement this week as you're reading through Scripture. Probably the most important thing is, how can I pray for you this week? All right, here we are, Mark chapter 5. Let's start verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the land of Gerasenes, and just as Jesus was climbing from the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit ran out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the tombs and could not be restrained, even with a chain. And when he was put in chains and shackles, as often he was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to control him, and all day long and throughout the night he would wander among the tombs and the hills, screaming and hitting himself with stones. And when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him. And he ran to meet Jesus, and he fell down before him. And he gave a terrible scream, shrieking, Why are you bothering me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? For God's sake, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked, What's your name? And the spirit replied, Legion, because there are many of us here inside this man. Then the spirits begged him again and again not to send him to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into the pigs, the evil spirits begged. Jesus gave them permission. So the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake where they drowned. The herdsmen fled to the nearby city and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Everyone rushed to see for themselves. The crowd soon gathered around Jesus. But they were frightened when they saw the man who had been demon-possessed, for here he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Those who had seen what happened to the man and to the pigs told everyone about it. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave him alone. When Jesus got back in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go too. But Jesus said, no, go home to your friends. Tell them what wonderful things the Lord's done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region and began to tell everyone about the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. You know, as I was reading this story and, and going through this, I thought back to college about an eerie story. See, we had this place where I went to, to college called Pigland. I'm serious, it was, it was called Pigland. It was this very um, broken down, junkyard type place in the middle of the country. Supposedly, there was this man who lived there in the middle of all this, this junk and run-down cars and, and garbage. 
And in this small house that he lived in, he actually had pigs that ran through his house and out into his front yard area. And uh, across from his house was this bus that had been in a horrific accident in which possibly some children had been killed. And, and it was, you know, you know how stories just sort of get bigger and bigger and scarier? So this place was called Pigland. And I remember my freshman year going to college, I said, hey, has anybody taken you to Pigland yet? No. What's Pigland? You know, and they start to tell this eerie story about the bus that went out of control just down the road from this place. And then if you stop your car on the bridge, you can hear the screams. And then, and then you'd leave your car there and you'd walk up the road to this Pigland and dare you to go onto the bus. Because you had to sneak past the farmer in his house, which the pigs roamed. And all the broken down cars in this junkyard, and then there's that broken down bus, you know. And so the stories would get bigger and bigger and bigger, and, you know. And, and uh, that was the thing to do. It was an eerie thing. Why is it that at a young age we invoke and we invite fear into our lives? Do you ever think about that? I mean, as a young kid, you want to see the scary movies. You want to hear the scary stories. But then as you get older, you're like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to mess. You're trying to keep people from being afraid. You're praying that your kids don't have nightmares. What is it about it when we're young? We want that. But as we get older, we learn and we're like, we don't want anything to do with that. Well, this is sort of an eerie story. When you look, look here in, in uh, Mark chapter 5, because if you remember when we ended the story last week, the disciples were in the boat. This big storm comes. Jesus is sleeping. They are fearful as can be. They're going to die. The water is into the boat, filling up the boat. They wake up Jesus. What do they say? Don't you care? Do we ask that question sometimes to God? Don't you care, Jesus, that we're going to die? Jesus gets up. He rebukes the storm. Remember that? It's like, storm. He muzzles the storm. Be quiet. And he says, why did you lack in your faith? He questions this. Now, I want you to remember, this is in the middle of the night, okay? That was the story. And they're crossing a lake, and it wasn't that great of a distance. So if you can think about this, as they cross this lake in the middle of the night, they now get to the other side. And how does this story start? So as they arrived at the other side of the lake, so we wonder, is it still dark? Or is the sun just starting to rise? Is it still just, maybe, a, maybe it could be a full moon and so you could still sort of see where they're landing. But now they're landing, and listen to where they're landing. They're landing in an area that is filled with caves and tombs. So as they're pulling in, in probably a somewhat dark situation, they're coming to where all these caves and tombs are, and a man possessed by demons comes screaming and running out at them. Okay, is that a little eerie? That's the situation. This is what we've come upon, okay? So in Mark 5, we actually have one of the most detailed descriptions of a demon-possessed man in the Bible. And we know about demon possession. We've heard about this stuff in the Bible. But here's probably one of the most detailed descriptions. We know that the man wore no clothes, so he lived really like in a subhuman wild animal type position. He lived among the decaying and the dead, which is contrary to Jewish law. And actually, it's probably just sort of gross and against any human instinct, right? 
I don't think any of us get really pumped up about living amongst the dead in the cemetery, right? No, we're not usually looking for those plots, okay? The man had supernatural strength. He said they'd chain him up, he'd break the chains apart. The man was tormented and self-destructed. He said he'd cry out, he would cut himself with stones. The man had uncontrollable behavior. It says nobody could tame him. So we have a big description here of what it means to be demon-possessed. Now, it's a good picture of what happens when we allow sin to control us. This man was controlled by sin. When sin overtakes our lives, these are the kind of things that happens. You are put into a place of decay and death. Your surroundings are dark. It causes you to be restless. When you are wrapped up in sin and when sin's got a hold of you, there's no peace. It's very destructive, self-destructive. It causes you to see your body as having no value. Your body is created in the image of who? Oh boy. Thank you. Okay. I know we got out of, out of sync here. I've been having them give you a chance to repeat and say things. Let's try this again. Your body was created in the image of who? God. Absolutely. So when your life is controlled by sin and you are self-destructive, hurting yourself, isn't that what the demons want? Because your body's created in the image of God, so let's destroy that thing which was created in the image of God. Because every time the demons look at the human body, they see the image of God. Let's get rid of that. It's a good picture of an old life, a battered life, a life controlled by sin. And this isn't the first time we read about demons or evil spirits in the Bible. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, okay, think about this. God says, I'm giving you a new life, people. I'm taking you into a new land. And what does God say to Moses? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, it says this. When you enter the land, the Lord your God's given you. Be careful not to imitate. Let me hear you say imitate. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We've talked about this, the whole discipleship thing. Is that we're not to imitate or copy the behaviors of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we hear this again from Deuteronomy. Be careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living here. Detestable, gross, sick. Don't touch it, okay? Verse 10. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Are you serious? Would we really do that? Would we really sacrifice our children to burnt offerings? Who would ever do that? It's called abortion. It happens today. Never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Do not let your people practice fortune-telling, use sorcery, interpret omens, engage in witchcraft, cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who, do, who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It's because other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. When we see all these movies, when we hear people about fortune telling and psychics and, and we want to do it with Ouija boards and all this kind of stuff, let me tell you something, that's detestable before the Lord. And sometimes as Christians we say, oh, there's probably nothing wrong with that. That's okay. We chuckle at it. We laugh at it. Let me tell you something. It's not a game. 
The Bible is very clear about God's position on sorcery, spellcasting, psychics, and fortune telling. It's not a game. It's not a joke. Demonic things need to be taken serious. Because why? Because the demonic things will destroy you. Sin destroys. Demonic things destroy. We can't laugh about it. We can't sit there and say, oh, it's okay. It's just a game. It's not a game. And when we watch these movies and lift them up saying, oh, let's watch this 666 movie. Let's watch this movie about this gore and whatever. And it's like, why? Why would we want to watch a detestable thing that God has said separate yourself from? Well, it's just entertainment. It's an entertainment industry that is putting the hands filled with all this money, giving them more money to produce more things, to get young, impressionable minds hooked on it. So we can be sure, I'll tell you this, we can be sure that this man didn't start this way. Somewhere along the lines, this man in this village, in this town, something happened where he had some irrational, wild behavior, something happened in which he then became demon-possessed and the villagers said, let's get him out of here. This guy's this guy, we can't we can't even bind him with chains. He breaks the chains. They drove him out of town, put him into this village cemetery, a madman among the tombs, hurting the only person that he could ever hurt was himself. It's probably even a scarier thing when you think about sin and demonic control, is that sin is so destructive, it's more destructive to yourself than others. Let's read on first look at uh, chapter five again. Let's look at verse six. Jesus was still some distance away, and the man saw him. And he ran to meet him. He bowed low before him with a shriek. He screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. And Jesus had already told him, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now, it's funny. It's, what's amazing, I think, is this demonic man, how did he approach Jesus? How did he approach Jesus? Did he walk? Did he run? He ran to Jesus. Did you see how he approached Jesus? Did he wave his finger at him? Did he stand over him? Or did he bow low? He ran to Jesus and he bowed low. The demons know their position with Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Philippians. Actually, you don't need to look there. I'll read it to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 says this. Therefore God elevated him... Jesus Christ, let me hear you say Jesus Christ. Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus Christ, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. Every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. James 2.19 says this, You say you have faith? You believe that there's one God? Good. Good for you. Good for you that you believe that. Because even the demons believe this. And they tremble. Do we tremble at the name of Jesus? Acts 16, 16 to 17 says this. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, now this is Luke writing in the book of Acts. He's talking about Paul and Silas. One day they're going down to the place of prayer. We met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller, earned a lot of money for her masters. 
she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting this, These men are servants of the Most High God. Let me hear you say Most High God. She called it out. This is who they serve. And they've come to tell you how to be saved. Let me hear you say how to be saved. This demonic girl knows who Jesus is, son of the Most High God. She knew the mission of the Christian to tell people how to be saved. The demons know who Jesus is, and they tremble. The demons know our Lord, and they know our mission. Did you know that? The demons know what you and I are supposed to be doing. They called it out. Hey, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they're here to tell people how to be saved. Could they say that about you? If a demon was following you around, would they be saying, hey, this person right here, he is a believer, a follower, a disciple of the Most High God, and he's going to tell you how to be saved. Or would a demon follow you around and say, this person says they go to, a, they say they, they're a Christian, but they go to church, you don't have to worry about them telling you how to be saved, though. They're chicken. They're scared. They're nervous. They're fearful. They're unsure. They're questioning. They're hurting. They're depressed. They're not sure what to say. What would that demon say about you? What would that demon say about me? And, and, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, as I'm reading this, I'm going, wow. Our opponent, our spiritual opponent, the devil, and his demons, they know we're supposed to be telling others about Jesus. They know who the Son of the Most High God is. They seem to know more about Jesus and our mission than most people do. And that was a wake-up call for me as I'm reading the Scripture. I mean, I know this, right? But as I'm reading this, I'm sitting there going, wow. They know more about my Jesus than maybe I do. They tremble at the feet of Jesus more than I do. They know my mission more than I do. What is my mission as a believer of Jesus Christ? With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. What, this, whole, this whole thing with the demons did here, and I don't know if you knew this, and, and this is something we all sort of learn here, but this was a way that they tried to resist the work of Jesus. Because there's this superstition back in this point in time, in this background of ancient superstition, that you have supreme power over another person if you can claim their name. Okay? If, if these unclean spirits were able to address Jesus by his title, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, their superstitious beliefs were that they have power over Jesus. So these demons, actually bowing low, knowing who Jesus is, actually tried to supersede Jesus with their power. Isn't that crazy? The demons had the right theological facts, but they didn't have the right heart. They knew the identity of Jesus better than the religious leaders did, but their knowledge didn't save them. The demons went on to say, uh, listen, we don't want to leave this host, right? Now we know that we're told specifically that a person, uh, we're not, I'm sorry, we're not told specifically how this person became demon-possessed, 
whether they invoked it upon themselves, what it may be, we don't know, an invitation, deliberate or not. But we know that the fortune telling, we know that the cult games, the practices, the spiritism, the new age deceptiveness that's going on out there, the magic, drug taking, all these things are open doors to demonic danger. Okay? And people get involved in these occultic and demonic things thinking that this thing will work for me, just as these demons thought this will work for me. Unfortunately, it's not something, but it's someone. And we need to remember that Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right? John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life and give it abundantly. Demons hate the image of God. So demons would do whatever they can to attack the person, to make them self-destructive, to cause danger, to make themselves grotesque, whatever it may be. Demons have the same goal in Christians. They want to wreck the image of God. But their tactics are restricted towards Christians. Why is that? Why is it that Christians cannot do as much danger to you as they could to a non-believer? Colossians 2, 13 to 15. You need to know this verse. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, and he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by victory on the cross. When Christ died on the cross, he nailed on that cross, he disarmed all of the demons and their demonic powers. Satan has no power over you. You are alive in Christ. He cannot, cannot control you because Christ disarmed that power. Okay? We need to remember that. Okay? They can definitely, though, Demonic power can definitely deceive us as Christians, make us fearful, intimidate us, bind us with unbelief and fear, no doubt about it. That kind of stuff can still come at us. We can still be tempted, right? But it's been disarmed by the cross. Jesus demonstrated his power over sickness, over nature, and now he's going to demonstrate it over evil spirits. Let me hear you say, our God reigns. Jesus demanded, what is your name? I love this. Because the demons are like, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, trying to pull that old, we can have power over you. And Jesus is like, whatever, you can't do that because I'm going to disarm you, okay? Uh, not yet. You know, right? You have to understand, actually, the same story is in Luke chapter 8. And in Luke 8, the demon's like, don't toss us out of this man. Don't toss us into the abyss, which is hell, okay? See, the demons know where their eternal destination is. They didn't want to go there yet. They're like, send us anywhere, but don't send us to the abyss. And Jesus is like, okay. When I, when, when I go to the cross, though, you will be so defeated. And yes, that is your eternal de destination. But the demons are like, just send us anywhere. Hey, how about those pigs? Send us off to the pigs. There's some interesting things here. When you, when you look at this story about uh, what some, some different authors have said about, listen, if if the demons can't get at a man, they'll go after anything, an animal, whatever. Because Satan would rather play a small game than not play any game at all. If he can get anywhere to disrupt, he will get there to disrupt. But let's read on the scripture. There had to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd 
of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now, when Jesus asked for the name, which was in verse, uh, verse 9, he said, what is your name? And he replied, Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. When he asked for a name, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, I want to know your particular name so I can toss you out. I believe that we didn't know the full extent of this problem. So when Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, Legion. That gave us now, outsiders, readers into the story, a little more information on here. Legion. Well, Legion means many. Legion was actually an army of 6,000 soldiers. So this demon was saying, my name is Legion. Now, whether there are 6,000 demons inside this man or not, we don't know, most likely not. But when he said legion, he was trying to intimidate Jesus. There's a lot of us, we're very organized, and we can overpower you. Because we are a legion. We are 6,000 strong. Well, we know this. You can bring 6,000, 6 million, 6 billion, gazillion, and let's make up a number, okay? Larger than all that. And it still doesn't hold to the power of Christ in one thumb, right? They begged Jesus. They begged, don't send us somewhere like off to the abyss. Just send us into these pigs. In this passage, note that the demons can't even afflict pigs without the permission of God. One commentator said this, since a demon can't enter even a swine without being sent by God himself, how little is the power or malice of them to be dreaded by those who have God for their portion and protector. So off to the pigs. The demons are thrown out of this man into the pigs. 2,000 pigs. I grew up on a pig farm. We had a lot of pigs. We had hundreds of pigs. Not thousands, hundreds. I'm trying to imagine in all my life growing up, go to the Fulton County Fair. There's hundreds of pigs, not thousands of pigs, right? Thousands of pigs on the side of a cliff just squealing, you know, <coughs> and then boom, 2,000 of them squealing off into the water. I mean, it had to be somewhat comical and yet somewhat crazy. And all these bystanders, the disciples, we don't hear one word from the disciples in this whole story. And I'm sitting there going, what did they think about this? What was crossing their mind? And then the herdsmen, the, the men who own these pigs, they ran off back to town. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, surrounded countryside, spreading the news as they ran. I would, would you not spread the word too? 2,000 pigs just went over the cliff, squealing like demons. That's a story to tell. But what amazes me is that they were more afraid of a free man than a possessed man. When they came back to Jesus and the disciples, it says, verse 13, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus. They saw the man who was possessed by the legion of demons. He's sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were afraid. They were more afraid of a free man than they were a possessed man. Those who had seen what happened told others about this, the man and the pigs, and the crowds began pleading with Jesus, go away. What? You just freed a man who was possessed by demons, a man who was tearing himself apart. His life was destructive, full of sin. He's now free. Praise God, right? How many of us have a past 
that was destructive? How many of us have a past that was messed up? How many of us have a past that is just, sin was just so prevalent there. It was just your life was like, I can't believe I'm here today. I can't believe I did those things. I can't believe I was like that. And then you're free. By the grace of God, you're free. Isn't that a great story? You are no longer that way. You are no longer the old you. You are new you. You are alive in Christ. That's worth celebrating. That's coming to church and saying, I've got a testimony. I want to share it with you. I am new in Christ. And everybody in church is like, yes. This possessed man is now free. I am free. I am free from these demons. They're, they're gone. And everybody's like, get out of here. Jesus, you're the one that did this. You get out of here too. Doesn't make sense, does it? Sounds sort of, actually sounds sort of familiar today. Oh, we know prayer is the answer, but we don't want it in our school. Oh, we know that we should love others, but don't you be loving people in this place. We have institutions that say we don't want anything to do with Christianity, we don't want anything to do with Jesus' love in this place. But isn't that the answer? Yes, it is, but not here. It doesn't make sense. When people are more afraid of what Jesus would do in their lives than what Satan does in that moment, they push Jesus away. I'm going to tell you right now, you're trying to share Jesus with somebody and they're pushing you away like they push Jesus away, it's because they're probably more fearful of what Jesus is going to do in their life than what is happening in their life right then and there. So if it's not making sense to you, go back and read the story. Because these people had nothing to want to do with the changed life of Jesus. They were comfortable with what was going on. Understand this. Jesus interrupted their way of life. To accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, your life will be interrupted. You may lose income. You may have to change your free time activities. Your hobbies may change. The places you go, the people you hang out with. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, your life is going to be turned upside down. It's going to be interrupted. It's not going to be the same anymore. And guess what? People won't want you around. It's the way it is. It's the way it is. Worship team, why don't you come forward, please? In this story, in this story, there's a lot of things that took place here. And I, you know, I, you know, I could say, okay, what, what, what point did you get? What did you learn from this? What happened here? What happened, you know? Here's what I want you to hear. There's about three things here that I do want you to hear, okay? First of all is this. This story shows the incredible value of one. Let me hear you say one. Jesus went across this lake in that storm, landed in this tombed area, dark, eerie, possessed man, tosses the demon, saves the one man, 2,000 pigs go swimming and drown. People say, now get out of here, so Jesus gets off and they leave. Who got changed in this story? Just the one, right? Now all these people saw what Jesus did, but we know that there was one man that was changed for sure. He went across the lake for that one. You went the distance for one. Don't ever discount who you are saying, it's just me. It is you. You are one and God loves you. Don't ever discount the fact that maybe God's telling you to go talk to one person because God loves that one person. The power of one. The value of one. His story also showed that with Jesus, no one's beyond hope. You think... You're trying to share Jesus with somebody that won't get the story? You think, well, I can't share with my family member. I can't share with my, my, my coworker. I can't share with my teammate. I can't share with my coach. I can't share with my boss. 
I can't share with these people because do you know what kind of life? Jesus shared with a very occultic, demon-possessed man. No one's beyond hope. No one's beyond hope. What an incredible story. The last thing I wanted to leave you with is this. If you were to read on the rest of chapter 5, Jesus got rejected by the whole town, right? Jesus gets rejected then by the, in the next couple stories you read, he's going to get rejected by more people. Did that stop Jesus from going out and living out his mission? Yes or no? No. As a disciple of Christ, as a believer, and, and being a part of this church, whether you're part of this church or not, whether you're just visiting today, I want to just say this to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, do not give up. Be relentless in living for him. Do not give up in sharing your faith. Do not give up in reaching those that you think are beyond reach. Do not give up in sharing hope with those that are feeling hopeless. We have a beautiful picture here of how Jesus says, keep at it, keep going. Because that one really does matter. It really does matter. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God, and I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth. I thank you, Lord, that when we read these stories, especially of a demon-possessed man that's just incredible, scary, eerie, that your power surpasses all that. The story of reaching somebody that seemed beyond hope amazes me. Reaching one amazes me. Not giving up amazes me. But what amazes me is that true that even the demons know you and your mission. They're not on your side. They hate you. And I proclaim to love you. I proclaim to love you, Lord. And I need to stand more boldly for you and be relentless in how I live for you and in the mission that you've given us. Lord, I pray for this church if we claim to say we love you, that we're going to live for you. That we will bow lower than any demon could ever bow. That we will stand for you. And our faith will be loud. I thank you for the children. And they stood up here and said, no, 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 I will not be ashamed. If our children are not going to be ashamed, then we as adults need to stand in a very relentless attitude and saying, we will not be ashamed either. Help us to live for you today, Lord. Help us to live in a way that honors you. Whatever comes our way, you've disarmed all things on that cross. Because you now live in us, you give us the strength to face all these things. Thank you, Lord. We worship you now with song. We sing to you. We give honor to you. In that name we pray. Amen.